Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us. Kitsugi is a 500-year-old Japanese practice of taking old broken pottery and carefully gluing each fragment together using the sticky sap of an indigenous Japanese tree. After weeks of letting the glue together pieces of pottery dry, the cracks are then sealed using a lacquer mixture permeated with powdered gold. Real gold, which highlights the imperfections rather than hiding them, so that the final piece of pottery ends up looking more beautiful than if it had never been broken. Joining with gold, Kitsugi, this centuries-old Japanese art is more than an aesthetic appreciation of the beauty of brokenness. It also speaks to our human condition in this world filled with broken people who can be healed only by the hand of the divine artist. The Bible records the psalmist's own Kitsugi experience. I have become like broken pottery. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Today, our special guest is Mario Roque, a successful businessman in the house building industry. Mario had come to a place where he felt like his life was broken, like a worthless old shattered piece of pottery. Mario described his life at that time of deepest despair as a very difficult personal, emotional, financial and relational mess. At that time, he says, I was operating a company that was $2 million in the hole. I was also separated from my second wife and I was not a happy person. In a moment, we'll let Mario tell you how his time of deepest despair was in fact his greatest blessing. Welcome back to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us. Our special guest this week is Mario Roque, who was going through the deepest time of despair in his life. And can you imagine, he had two young boys and at the age of 50, he had to move in with his parents. Mario is gonna share with us how he found joy during his time of deepest despair. Mario, thank you for joining us on Eddie's Written Canada. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Mario, you came from very humble origins. Can you take us back to your childhood and tell us what it was like? Yes, I was born in, uh, in a group of islands called the Azores, which is about 800 miles before Europe in the middle of the Atlantic. I was there till I was 11 years old. It was a very poor place at the time. I remember I was, it was in the 50s that I grew up there. I was born in 46. 
came to Canada when I was 11. And I remember it being very primitive. Um, we had no shoes. We uh, cooked with wood. And I remember my mother would really work hard because she would have to go and gather the wood in forests that she was allowed to go and scavenge, as well as they had done some lumber uh, projects where they cut lumber down and she was allowed to go and dig stumps. So we would have to carry that home, cut it up, so we could have fire to cook our meals. The corn would have to be ground, but my mother would have to walk to another town where there was a windmill. We'd take five hours walk through the mountains. When she got there, if it was too uh, calm, there was no wind, she'd have to come back and go back the next day. Uh, that's how backward, that's how primitive it was. We had no radio, no newspapers, nothing. We never heard in a foreign language, absolutely no phones, nothing. So that was difficult for my parents. As a child, for me, it was fine. We had uh, two lakes there. We had a lot of fun uh, playing in the water, although I didn't learn to swim till I got here, but it was fun. We played in the forest and, you know, I'd lay down, look at the clouds. My, I was an only child. My parents really treated me uh, like my father would say, like baby Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So then, Mario, you ended up coming to Canada. Um, your whole family came to Canada and you were quite young. Yeah. How did that change your life? Uh, I never gave it much thought. Uh, at the time I was young, I went to school here and um, it was a little bit difficult. I got blamed for everything because I couldn't speak English. Um, <laughs> but then I got in trouble a lot. But I was uh, quite creative even back then. I got uh, let go from school. I didn't do anything actually, uh, but I was part of a, gr a group of people that had done something. I was just standing there, didn't know what I was doing. I did nothing, I got uh, uh, sent home and to bring my mother. My mother was working. But we had someone who could just come from the old country, absolutely no English. I took her to school and said, here's my mother. <laughs> so she didn't understand a word they said. I went back to school. How did you get into the house building business and how did your success come in that field? Well, I was very naive and I believed whatever people said. So one time I was, uh, I quit school actually, I almost became a chemist. I went two and a half years to university to become a chemist. I quit, I, was, I went to the public library and there was a book there that said how to make a million dollars in real estate. I thought, wow. Somebody can tell me how to make a million dollars. <laughs> so I borrowed the book. Actually, I never did return it, but I didn't practice anything they, they said. I told my mechanic about this book that I was reading. He said, oh, go see a friend of mine, Bruno. He's in real estate. So I, I became a realtor. After being a realtor for a few months, I saw some realty people selling new homes and I saw that they sold quickly and I thought I'd like to get into that business. I didn't have any money. I borrowed 20,000 at the time. I told everybody I'm going to go into the house building business. Before you knew it, I had 13 partners at 20,000 apiece, which would be equal to about 200,000 each today. And that's how I got started. So you were quite an entrepreneur. I mean, the house that we're filming at right now is your house. This whole neighborhood, you know, you've been very active in building, you know, 65% of the homes in this area. Um, 
you had an entrepreneurial skill. How, how young were you when you started? I was uh, 27. 27. This was really my, I, um, after quitting school, I became a taxi driver. Within a year and a half, I had two taxis that I owned, but I didn't really like the business. Everything, my language, everything was going downhill. So I sold and then got into real estate at the age of 27. I used to think that if I made a million dollars, I'd be happy because I was a very unhappy person. And in my early 30s, I, I achieved that. That was a long time ago. They'd be like five or 10 million today, right? So, uh, but I was still very unhappy. As a matter of fact, by the time I made my first million, I was actually upset because I was wrong, <laughs> that it would not make me happy. So, um, yeah. What did bring happiness to you? I think I, uh, I did very well for a number of years. <clears throat> and then in my late 40s, the economy turned and in my business, I also went through a really rough time <clears throat> personally. And um, I was uh, 50 years old. I was running a business that was $2 million in a hole. That'd be like eight or $10 million today. I had borrowed everything that my parents had. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Ontario New Home Warranty Program, it was called at the time, wanted to revoke my license. They asked me if I had any other assets, so my parents actually signed their house as a guarantee for me to continue. I could not fail. My parents would die. I was an only child. They trusted me, they believed in me, they loved me. And they never knew to what extent of the struggle I was going through. I uh, protected them from that, but I always, I had done it before and I believed I could do it again. So I never got discouraged, but it was just very, very difficult running a business like that. Uh, uh, again, uh, alone by myself. Uh, my first wife had committed suicide. She was suffered from depression. The second one was a big mistake. I rushed into it too quickly. Uh, it was really, really bad. So, uh, <clears throat> but at the age of 50, uh, as I was in the deepest despair at the time, uh, so, uh, three people actually told me to go to this church in Toronto. I'd been raised in a church. I was an altar boy and all that, but I didn't know anything about God. I believed there was a God. As a matter of fact, when I was a very young child, I'd look where they would keep the host and this little, I forget what it's called now, and I thought, wow, God lives there. <laughs> That's all. I, but I, I did believe there was a God. I didn't want to have anything to do with them because I liked my habits. That I knew they were wrong. But uh, so three people actually told me to go to this church in Toronto at that time, when I was 50 years old. And I went. And I still remember the very first day was on a Sunday night. And there was a lot of people there on a Sunday night. And they asked anybody that's suffering from depression, put their hand up. So I put my hand up and they prayed for people who had their hands up. They asked anybody who wanted to give their life to the Lord to come to the front. I was there with someone. They said, why don't you go? So I went. I had no clue what that meant. Zero. So they prayed this little prayer. They asked me to repeat it. I did. They took me to the back. I still remember the fellows. I have a very poor memory about most things, but I still remember his name was Grant. 
and he explained to me why Jesus died on the cross to bridge the gap between man and God. And he gave me this tiny little book of three pages, an inch square. <laughs> and all it had was a, a man on one side in a valley, there was a cross on the other side, which was also flat was God. So he explained it to me that way. He gave me a, a, a little Bible of the New Testament, uh, prayed for me, I left, and I knew something had changed. But I was really excited what was going on in that church. I was telling everybody, I told Rick, who is now our praise and worship leader at the church. And we went to, back together on Wednesday. And this time, uh, someone prayed for me at the end of the service, but I was already in love with God. I was praising and worshiping God, and I was in, felt like there was a presence in me already. Someone prayed for me, I fell down, fell backwards. I don't, nobody touched me, I know. They only prayed for me like for two seconds. When I was laying down, I just started laughing. I hadn't laughed or cried in years. I was just, had a very sad, hard life, emotionally and personally and financially. I laughed and I laughed so loud that I think the windows shook. And it was a huge place, it used to be a convention center. I liked laughing. So I laughed so loud and I laughed. And I, I was the only one laughing, <laughs> but I didn't care because I said, if you're in the spirit, go with it. So I did, I just laughed. And after a while, I stopped laughing. And I thought, I wonder if I pray, if I can laugh some more. I didn't know how to pray. So I thought, maybe I remember the Our Father. I said, Father who art in heaven. Again, I started laughing really loud. Next morning I woke up, I was telling Greg, God is real, God is real. All I wanted to do was read my Bible. All I wanted to do was tell people about God. Uh, I stopped going to work. <laughs> I stopped leading the company. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I thought, okay, it's going to take some loss, even though we weren't doing well at the time. I thought, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel here. So I just, I just started talking to people about God. I bought Bibles, gave them away to everybody I met. And that was my first experience with God. And I had many back then in particular that were very overwhelming for me. As I was reading my Bible, it was so overwhelming I had to stop and go have a cigarette. Because <laughs> I couldn't take it. It was just overwhelming me. So um, those are just some of the experiences I had with God back then. And... Um, uh, it's transformed my life. It's, um, I kept on going back to this church for a long time. I would go two, three times a week. My parents thought I was up to no good because <laughs> I'd come home very late at night. So they called my cousin to ask me questions. She said, he's doing fine. Then they asked the priest. And he, after I told him my story, he says, I wish I had parishioners like you. <laughs> So um, it was the beginning of my transformation. So Mario, you had this very meaningful encounter, personal encounter with God, where you knew that God was real to you. He has taken you a long way on your journey. How did he get you to where you are today? Well, originally when I had encounters with God and experience with God, which were many, especially in the beginning, I was going to that original church in Toronto. It had many names over the years from 
Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, to uh, the Vineyard, to the Toronto Blessing. And so I went there for perhaps about six months. And then I went back to uh, the church where I grew up in. And I was there for a while. And then I uh, started going to a few other churches um, just to see what was the difference. And uh, at one point, actually, I ended up joining a uh, All Nations Full Gospel Church, which was all Africans. I was the only white person in there. And I was there for a number of months. And I enjoyed being there. I was learning a few things. And then I actually founded, funded a, a house church. I was living in a room because I couldn't afford to anything, but I bought a fairly new house, four bedrooms, double car garage, <laughs> leased this person a car that was gonna start this house church. So we were there for over a year. I learned a lot, experienced a lot. And then I was disillusioned with that. And I thought, enough bouncing around. I'm gonna make the right decision now. So I'm gonna go to a few churches and take my time. I had gone actually to the Adventist church uh, uh, two or three times. Uh, a good friend of mine at the time was the head elder of uh, the church that I'm at presently now. And, and uh, <clears throat> so I, um, again, I went to this house church and then I left. And it took a few months to make up my mind. I went back to uh, um, the Adventist church. It was called Living Word at the time. It's now called Really Living in Hamilton. So I went back there and I noticed that I was still troubled. So, but I, and, and I had a hard time going, but I forced myself to go. I noticed every time I'd go, I'd walk out and I was feeling better. And after being there a few weeks, I realized that because I had read the Bible a lot, I mean, for hours on end, and um, I recognized that the truth was being taught there. And I gave a testimony at the front of the church saying that truth is being taught here. I'm glad I'm here and I'm here for life. And I made up my mind fairly quickly on that. I was actually upset. I, I hardly ever get angry, but I was angry at the church I grew up with because I thought, I'm a sinner. How can they teach me to sin some more? And I was really upset with that. Of course, I'm much more accepting <laughs> over a period of time. I kind of made peace with all that, but I've been uh, a Seventh-day Adventist now for about 18 or 19 years out of the 26 years that I had this first experience with God. Yeah. So during your walk with Adventism, you learned about the truth and you probably spent a lot of time reading your Bible. So do you have a favorite Bible verse? You know, I used to think, I've got two actually, but uh, one is um, that come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. Uh, but my favorite really is in the, the God's presence, there's fullness of joy because I never had joy all my life till, till I was in my 50s. That's where it started. And I'm such a different person today than I used to be. I was a sad person. I was not happy with life. There was something missing. And uh, I'm just so glad that I found the truth. And uh, like 
The Lord says the, the truth will set you free. And it's, I've been set free from a lot of negative influences in my life. I remember the very first time I went back to church at that initial church that I went to, they played the song Amazing Grace. And that was talking about me. <laughs> Save the wretch like me. So it's become my favorite song. As a matter of fact, I'd like to play it at, <laughs> at my funeral. <laughs> because God has been so gracious to me that not a day goes by that I'm not so grateful for all that he's done for me. And I'm not talking about the financial aspect, which has been a huge blessing. Like Job, I lost everything, but I've gotten back 10 times more. But uh, what he's done for me personally is just super amazing. The peace that I have, the, the fulfillment in life that I have, the acceptance I have of whatever happens around me doesn't trouble me anymore. And it's all in God's hands. And I'm so, so grateful that God has been so gracious to me. And I, I believe he wants to be gracious like that with everyone. all your life why were you always seeking I was seeking because I was a very unhappy person and I knew that there was more than what I had so my first experience was I remember while I was at university I read Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the first one being uh, basic needs of life, food, clothing, and shelter. And the fifth one being self-actualization. I had no clue what that meant. 
So I seek in a number of ways. My first way of seeking it was, of course, through business. I thought if I'm successful and I have enough money, I don't have to worry about life. That didn't work. Then I started, uh, and I would read a lot about business. Then I started reading a lot about psychology. So try to understand why. That didn't work. Then I started reading New Age books, read a lot of them at the time. That didn't work. Nothing changed. So I was seeking for this happiness in life that nothing else satisfied. And then, of course, that happened when I found God. Because God was always there for me, but I was avoiding Him. Has the seeking stopped for you, or has it continued to grow? Well, no, it never stops. <laughs> How could it stop? I mean, uh, you, you want to know Christ uh, at a deeper level. You want to have a deeper relationship with Him. You want to know what He's like. You want to communicate with Him. How can you unless you continue to seek? So that's my daily practice is to seek every day. Has it made you happier? Have you found more joy? Oh, and <laughs> can't you tell? <laughs> I never used to smile. As a matter of fact, I remember one of my clients said, you have a very poker face because <laughs> I never changed my expression. So of course it's changed me dramatically. I have joy in my life. I have peace in my life. I have something to look forward. I have everything I need. The only thing I need more is a deeper relationship with Christ, nothing else. Mario, next week we want you to come back again and tell us about how you serve God daily and all the miracles that you have witnessed. So we've come to the end of our time together and I wonder if Mario, you could pray for our viewers. Maybe there's someone who's watching, who's in a moment for them that is their time of deepest despair, but pray for them that they will know that Jesus is very near and that this can be actually a time of great blessing for them as it was for you. Heavenly Father, you've done miracles in my life. And you've done so many miracles and so many people that I've known. Heavenly Father, you can heal all people, whether it's financial, emotional, spiritual, relational. I pray that you have confidence in the Lord that he's near you, that he is, wants to heal you. He wants to give you a better life, that you give him some peace the peace that you've given me and so many other people that I've known because you're a God of miracles. We thank you for those you will touch today by listening to this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you very much, Mario, for being with us. We look forward to spending time with you again next week so you could see him working in other people's lives through you. So we look forward to that. See you next week. Mario had been studying the Bible for years on his own, so he was able to see the truth when it was taught to him. You too can understand God's Word for yourself with our free Bible study guides. Whether you want to learn the major teachings of God's Word or Bible prophecy, we can assist you to find answers for how to face the issues and challenges that you deal with every day. Before you go, we would like to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also listen to our podcasts. 
And if you go to our website, you can see our latest programs. Friends, if you want the kind of joy that Mario experienced, we recommend that you open this book, the Bible, where it is recorded that Jesus found his joy and confidence to overcome temptation through the word of his Father when he declared, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.